I, th- I think that gratitude is the superfood of the spiritual life. Um, I, I'd studied gratitude in my PhD for a couple of months just to look at it uh, for something I was doing and began to realize that there's all these effects that come out of gratitude that we just don't know. Not, not just um, our mental health. It affects our mental health in an amazing way. Um, those of us that are in uh, recovery, uh, long-term recovery, will tell you that gratitude is the thing that our sponsor tells us to cultivate early on because it changes the way we see the world. And often um, we see things and we are locked into certain stories about our life, um, about what's happening, and those stories um, tend to set the parameters of what we feel we have access to, the resources we have. And so often our lives can become smaller the older we get because we feel like we're caring so much. How many of y'all feel the pressure of what you're carrying today? It doesn't matter how old you are. How far, yeah? Those of you who don't have your hands up, I need to talk to you after this. <laughs> like desperately. <laughs> um, but often what happens is we, um, and this is what the, the scripture says, that often it's those things that we are pressurized by life that makes our life get really small. And what gratitude does is allow us to see the things that are operative in our life that often we take either for granted or we have learned and not to see or the noise of our life has gotten so much, the visual landscape has become so um, fast that we don't slow down enough to breathe and to be thankful for the three F's. <laughs> for the folks that um, caretake in our lives for 49 years or 49 hours of marriage. (laughs) For sobriety, for the fact that we're loved. Like you're you're held together by not, this is what um, Scripture says, you're held together not by all the things that you do, but because of whose you are. And and until we have that deep experience, until that um, somehow gets down into our bones, we will keep thinking that we are human doings, trying to put it all together. And when it all lines up, when I get the to-do list all checked off, it's going to be okay. You know when you'll get the to-do list all checked off? Yeah, when they put you in a box and lower you into the ground. That's a, (laughs) done. (laughs) And so part of what um, the New Testament and part of the life of Jesus over and over and over and over is teaching us how to see differently. And all that you have, whether you are in high school or middle school, whether you are in college, whether you're out of college, whether you've got kids, whether you've got um, grandkids or great-grandkids as we have somewhere here this morning. That, that the gospel says, let, a, let me teach you how to see differently. Because there's never going to be a time in your life where you've got it all together and you can kind of plant the flag of me in it and keep it all. I don't know about y'all, but life often to me feels like whack-a-mole. You know, I knock something here and it pops up here. Or like a grease balloon that somebody's handed me and I'm trying to kind of get my hands around it. And it's just, it's crazy and it looks stupid when I'm trying to control it. 
But most of us are taught a series of the ways that we control life. And it's become very normative for us to feel that we have to control it all, but it deforms us. This is the odd thing, that we walk around deformed and we think that's the normal, the normal way, right? We walk around trying to hold it all together in our own sense of powerlessness and controlling everything. And then God comes along through the words of Paul and says, let me show you a more excellent way. And so Jesus is always showing us a more excellent way. Jesus, um, his message isn't um, surrender and I'll show you how to put more crap into the bag you're already carrying. (laughs) Surrender to me and I'll numb you enough so that the pain doesn't feel as bad. Surrender and I'll make you a freak show to your friends. (laughs) That's not the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus says come and surrender and I'll show you, uh, he says in John, out of your very bellies will flow rivers of living water. What's flowing out of your belly today? <laughs> and so we come here week after week um, not to, um, in a sense, um, be handed a, a, a card that says, uh, we're going to evaluate your spiritual life. Well, 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 pretty good. Or, hmm, haven't seen you in a while, special. This is not about shame. It's not about goading each other. It's really about, can we come together as a community to the very deep love of God and have an experience with the Master in such a way that it transforms us? So that we're not gutting through 48 years of marriage, standing on 49, where, uh, what does Lyle Lovett say, that the preacher um, pronounced them 99 to life? (laughs) but that we're breaking open with each other in these intimate relationships and we're falling in love every year. Best we can. Um, And so we're going to look at a text today where um, Jesus is on the way and something happens. And it's one of those um, old, old stories that um, I think I first learned probably in 1970 on a flannel graph. Um, and it stuck with me. It's one of those old classic hits. And so um, let's, let's read it. It's out of Luke. Okay, we're reading from Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made sick. Then one of them, having sorted in the field, sent up, able on with a lion. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was healing him. Then Jesus asked, Were ten not made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God, except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate you. So, um, one of the things that's super interesting to me is that um, Luke, um, Luke talks about um, um, 
these foreigners all the time. He, and, and, and Luke, in, his, in the text, in the Gospels, and then also in Acts, is, is always um, attempting to make the outside closer to the inside, the margins closer to the center, and the centers closer to the margins. Because Luke says it's in the interaction of those two things, the center um, and, and the margins, that there's something deeply special that happens, right? If you've ever been to a therapist, this is what a therapist is doing. A therapist is, is taking the stuff of our lives, the, the margins that we don't necessarily know how to talk about, the pain that we carry around with us, and bring it into the light of the center. And often, they're trying to take the center of our life, which can be our ego, that doesn't want to look at things, and bring it to the margins. And in that, those kinds of relationships and, and psychological ways, something very special happens. Developmental psychologists or psychologists will call that integration, how we become made whole. Uh, uh, the New Testament will call it, and, and we'll talk about this word in just a second, salvation. When those things happen, when the margins and the center come together, salvation, wholeness happens. That's the core of that word in the New Testament is wholeness. And often when we keep things separate in our lives, we live lives of um, what one, I think it was John Donne, that says uh, we live these lives of quiet desperation. Right? Quiet desperation. And many of us live with a quiet desperation because we don't know how to put these things together. So here's Jesus in Luke. And he is uh, in, the first, um, in the first couple of, um, of even sentences. Let me uh, run this back. Um, he, is, uh, he names three different places. Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem. Um, Luke says that it, it, a couple of chapters before that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. That he's come to this, this knowledge of who he is and what his mission is. And he can't shirk it. He can't sidestep it. He has to face it. And he knows that when he starts his, this walk uh, uh, to Jerusalem, what's going to happen? Conflict, deep conflict with the religious structures of his day, the political uh, structures of the day that are really religiously kind of inclined, and then this whole kind of Roman Empire thing, this, this geopolitical structures of his time. So Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, uh, and he goes to this region between uh, Samaria and Galilee. Um, and what Luke wants to say, and what Luke is telling us in, this, in this, this map that he's given, is not just kind of a map to get to Jerusalem. He's talking about the life that Jesus is living. What, what he's saying is that Jesus is a border crosser. Is that Jesus is crossing borders. He, he crosses borders to get to the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, you have this, this, the Samaritans are these outsiders that we looked at this the last couple of weeks with this Syrophoenician woman that was uh, considered to be a dog, half-breeds. Jesus shows up and this Syrophoenician woman teaches the Son of Man something in that encounter. The center and the edge, when they come together, something incredible happens. Something incredible happens. And so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's border crossing through Samaria. Um, 
most Jews would um, walk out of the way not to go into this region. Um, it would be a place that if you crossed over into, you would be ritually unclean as a Jew, which means you'd have to go back to Jerusalem. If you were, like, were late, I guess, home, um, and you wanted to cut through Samaria, you could cut through Samaria. You just had to get to the temple at some point pretty quick and sacrifice some stuff because you were unclean. And so most Jews would go around Samaria. And you have Jesus. I just think this is amazing. We, our, our ideas of holiness are pretty screwed up. We're just pretty messed up. Because often we think holiness is about this kind of aimful, retentive Christianity that I've got to do it all right, and there's a list of rules, and you know? And it's not that way at all. In fact, I, I was taught that that was what spirituality was, is that there's a list of rules. I, I, I've often talked about, y'all know who Pat Boone is? Yeah, okay. It's going to show my, my, my age. But I remember my parents loving Pat Boone. And he had those white patent leather shoes, you know. And, and, and often I kind of felt like that, uh, that Christianity, would, that God gave me these white shoes and said, don't screw them up. Your, your whole, the whole of Christianity is not to scuff them. And I will evaluate your life based on the way you kept those shoes at the end. And so if you can present these things to me unscuffed, that's what I'm looking for, right? And so holiness is this thing that we, we kind of, and you have these denominations and people and ways of understanding Christianity that pulls away from the world more and more and more. And then you create this other world over here and you set all these boundaries up and people are afraid of the world. And then you come to the New Testament, read the freaking New Testament. And you see this God who doesn't have Pat Boone shoes on, He's walking into the stuff of our lives, border crossing everywhere. And not with his thumb on the shame button or the disgrace button or the anger button, but moving into those places where um, I don't think God would ever want to come into. And somehow the love of God is found in the very places where religion says God should not go. And so when the New Testament says, be ye holy, for I am holy, he's not talking about Pat Boone shoes that you're not supposed to scuff, right? He's reconfiguring what does holiness mean. It means relationship. It means this, this, this ability to be vulnerable and open with each other and broken open with each other in a way that can contain um, all of the variability of our life, the mess of our life, our fears our anxiousness, the things we do when no one else is looking. The very gospel comes and says that's the very place where Jesus border crosses and the very presence of God is. I don't know about y'all, but that's good news to me. That feels like great news. And, and some of us need to be able to take off those shoes that were handed to say, never scuff them. You need to put them aside. And you need to be introduced to a kind of love that Jesus has in the Gospels that will um, knock your socks off. Will love you. Will claim you and reclaim you. 
And so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he enters um, this village, and these lepers approach him. What I, what I love about this, too, is I began to think about uh, this a little this week um, as well, um, is that he's on the way, um, and while he's on the way, um, um, he's interrupted. And often, um, God comes to us in these interruptions of our life. I don't know about your to-do list. I'd like to have your iCalendar or your Google Calendar and to see your schedule this week. Most of us have it pretty planned out, don't we? Most of us know what we're going to do at 8.30 a.m. tomorrow, maybe at 4 a.m. tomorrow. And you, you've got it all planned out. And my hunch is, if I looked at your calendar a month from now, um, it would be the same way. My, mine's exactly the same as yours. And then we come to the New Testament, and, and God often shows up in the interruptions of our lives. God often shows up when we're trying to, to have everything together and get our to-do list, and then the interruption of God comes, and the grace of God comes. And Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. He's got big stuff ahead of Him, and He's interrupted. And it's in the interruption center, edge, coming together, that something very special happens. Some of us need to be open to be interrupted. Being interrupted by our own lives, being interrupted by our children's lives, being interrupted by our friends' lives, being interrupted by people we don't know maybe that we encounter on the street. We need to be open to interruption because it's often in the interruption that the very Spirit of God dwells. And so Jesus is interrupted and something super special happens um, in this place. Um, and so he is on the way. And he meets these guys that are, um, these ten men that are lepers in this village. Now, the word for lepers is not just that they have like parts of their bodies that are falling off. That's kind of what I think about leprosy. I kind of think about if you've ever seen The Walking Dead, uh, I kind of think, oh, those are the lepers of the day, Right? Um, the lepers of the day, that word leprosy, really has anything to do with diseases that they didn't know how to diagnose, that they knew were contagious and they didn't know what to do with. And so they put folks out of the city. And these ten men found each other. And they were traveling around together, pulling, I bet, resources together. Um, pulling together food together, being support for each other. Um, and these are the ten men. We'll find out in just a bit. One of them is a Samaritan. They're not just all Jews. This is a, this is a different crew of people. And so what you have is you have these ten folks that, whose lives have been broken down. And they are unclean. They've been put out. There's a part of them that cannot be reintegrated into society. And so they're outside of society. They are othered. And they have to often announce when they're coming close to people to say that they are unclean so that people can move away. And so there's a story that you often see in the New Testament, even in this story. There's a story about not knowing what the diagnosis is, and it creates a lot of fear. And then that fear creates a lot of boundaries and people that are not in that push back against that and then other those folks. Does that make sense? 
Because we often don't know um, what's happening. It creates a lot of fear in our life. When we don't know how to diagnose it as anxiety or depression or addiction. And then begin to enter into those things with a lot of tenderness and love. It can create a lot of fear in us and we can other. When it feels like everybody else... (laughs) and everybody else's kids are okay, or everybody else's future is okay, and I go into the quietness of my own home, my own life, that wakes me up at three in the morning, and I I compare my insides to your outsides, my fear grows. And I am now on this other place, not knowing if I belong, how to get back in. Does that make sense at all? So most of us live in those places where either we're trying to maintain our in status or we feel out and we don't know what to do with that so we don't share that with anybody. And here's Jesus, just, he's just border crossing. He's crossing borders and he comes into confrontation with these 10 men One of them is Samaritan, who've come together. It's often, I think it's interesting to me, it's often that our own kind of shared pain, our shared calamity, our shared woundedness brings uh, our our lives together with each other, often more than our shared joy. I've seen that happen, um, and it brings folks of different status together too. I've, I've seen this happen in cancer wards at MD Anderson. Well, you might have a lawyer that's just crushing it in Houston somewhere and a kid in elementary school that have the same kind of cancer and they are mutually supporting each other, right? You have a person that might not have a high school education, works in a machine shop, and a, another person that has a PhD somewhere that are struggling with the same thing uh, medically and they come together and there's a support system. I've seen it happen at Bo's place, a place where um, families who have suffered the loss of of a child go and grieve. And often it's our shared pain that brings us together. I've seen it in um, Alcoholics Anonymous and other recovery groups where we begin to realize that what we struggle with as human beings connects us. Our pain often connects us more than our Facebook status, than our bottom line, than how we're crushing it, than the the amount of money that we have, than our status. It is often our pain that connects us. And I think we have to... I don't want to move too fast beyond that. Because there's there's something about wisdom of the Spirit. That if I am constantly committed to comparing my insides to your outsides, I will always come up short. Or, I will put you in a place of judgment. And so the gospel presupposes that each of us are struggling with things that are too much for us. The gospel presupposes that you will stand at a place um, where all of your resources that you've garnered in your life will not be enough to get you over something in your life. It will happen. 
And that's why I think Jesus is always crossing borders and boundaries to create community, to create spaces and experiences of love that won't let us go, that anchor us to a truth that is deeper than the truth that we have been given as kids in our own society. And so these men come to Jesus and say, Master, which is the word um, that's usually um, reserved for the disciples. I don't know what this means. Is Luke kind of saying, hey, um, uh, the disciples really are a ragtag bunch of broken down men when you get to it. But these folks um, cry out, Master, have mercy on us. And they come close to Jesus. I don't know how close they come, but I don't necessarily get the sense that Jesus is walking it back. He just understands their pain. He understands the things that has marginalized them, that has pushed them out. He's understanding the things that have kept them away from society, the things that are operative in their own lives that have defined them, the story that they're living in. And this story has totalized their lives and have cut them off. And Jesus basically says, go show yourselves to the priests. And they do. And then this crazy thing happens. I, I don't know when... Um, um, when the heal, what is this last? And, um, and they went and they were made clean. They were made clean. And then this phrase. Um, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed. <laughs> I love that. One of them, when he saw that he was healed. On the way, he saw that he was healed. Like he, he got it, I think is what Luke is saying. He got that he was healed. Here's this dude that has been sick for a long time, outcast, pushed aside. He saw, recognized, got that he was healed. His eyes were open that he was healed. Last um, week, we've been, the last two weeks, we've been talking a bit about perception, how at the heart of the gospel is this new way of seeing. A new story that the, the very Spirit of the living God gives us. And that often it's in the story, in the seeing, in this new way of seeing, that God uses to transform our life. He saw that he was healed and he went back. And now the mic drop in this whole thing is something I've already given away. The text says that um, he was a Samaritan. Boom. The outsider who can't be connected to um, um, this Jew on the way sees that he has been made whole, cleaned. And he goes back and he says, oh, thank you. Thank you. And Jesus says to him, what does he say? We're not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this outsider? Then he said to him, get up, the same word for resurrect is in, in that in the Greek. Get up from the ground, resurrect. That's what God does to us. That's what love will always do to you. That's what grace will always provide for you. It will resurrect. It will have you get up out of the dirt that you're in. It will begin to send you into a new life and a new community in a new way. And he said to him, get up, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you, in the Greek, it's whole. Your faith, your risk, your, 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 your glory to God has made you whole. What if today we cultivated gratitude and a new way of seeing? And what if part of that new way of seeing was the acknowledgement 
that right now, you are exactly what God intended when He created you. Now that may take for some of us some dismantling of um, shame. It may take some dismantling of another story that's operative in our life. It may take the dismantling of I have this spoiled past that I don't know what to do with. What if, what if the border-crossing love of God traverses all of that, scoops it all up, needs it all because it's you, and says, out of this, you are whole. You're whole. And what if we began to see each other, not in places of comparison, my insides to your outsides, your outsides to my insides, but we began to relate to each other out of that place of wholeness, and brokenness. What would that do? My hunch is that um, 77024 needs some of that. Can I get an amen? That the zip codes that we're living in need that. That the, what we have taught and what we've been taught and what has been shaping us is actually misshaping us that we have all learned to hold our lives in a deformed kind of way, saying this is normal. It's normal to be under that kind of pressure. It's normal to drink that much. It's normal to feel this kind of anger. It's normal to feel this kind of pressure. And what if, just what if, those of us that are unable to do that really well are bearing witness like the canary in the coal mine that the environment that we're living in might be toxic. And that it's in sharing our own pain and being this leper colony together that we find um, a wholeness and a hidden wholeness when the very master of the universe says, Go. You're whole. Your faith has made you whole. You've been saved. Now bear witness to that. Bear witness to that in your zip code that you're living in the best you can with um, the marriage or the divorce that you're living through, the kids that you've got, the story that you're in. Share that with each other in a way that you can be made whole. Um, that's where Jesus is. And I think that's where Jesus often shows up in this border-crossing way. Well, that's what I got this morning. Um, what, are, um, what are some questions, some things that came up for you? I want to give a little time for this. Um, I'll call on people if nobody says anything. So I want somebody to take a step forward and just say, what, what's come up or question or something that's, uh, that you observed in the text or when you were sitting here today? Gary. Were the other nine permanently healed? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Until they died. Uh, yeah. Uh, your faith has made you well. Yeah. Uh, the other nine mm. went on. They had, they had been made clean, but yeah. they weren't thankful for it. So yeah. Were they... Yeah, I don't think that then, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, you know, the Holy Spirit shows up and goes, well, 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 didn't say thank you, here's it back, you know. <laughs> what I get the sense of what Jesus is doing is that he says, go and present yourself to the priest so that you may be made ritually clean 
integrated back into society. You get a job back, right? You get the, the, the seal of approval. It's when your oncologist says remission, right? That's what they get. This guy understands that something else is in operation besides remission. He's not looking for necessarily... Um, there's, there's a difference between being cured and being healed. I saw that in my own mother's life with her brain cancer. She was never um, cured. Uh, she died of brain cancer. These guys died of something. Um, um, but she was healed of resentment. She was healed of fear. She was healed of a lot of things. And so I wonder if what's in operation here is that Jesus pronounces this guy to be he- cleaned, and he's, he's ritually cleaned, he's healed of, of whatever he's got going on, but he sees that something else is in operation. And he comes back to Jesus saying, something else is going on here. I mean, so you cleaned up my acne or whatever it was, you know. You cleaned up my leprosy. Uh, thank you. Something else is here. And Jesus says, you got it. You got it. Something else is in operation. Um, this has made you, this has saved you. It's made you whole. Now, some of us can be deemed um, 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 cured from a, a medical standpoint, but we're not healed of our resentment. We're not healed in terms of turning back into the world and giving. You know, I think that's something like that might be an operation there. What else? Yes. Mm. Well, um, I think for a couple of different reasons. He sent him to the priest because, one, um, this, there's a whole system in operation of, um, of who gets to deem someone acceptable or unacceptable. Um, the Samaritan didn't have that because he's not a part of the, of the, the Jewish system. That the other Jews go back and they are um, to get back into society for verification um, there has to be an, um, um, an outside religious verification that, yes, you have been um, healed and now you're ritually clean and you can now enter back into society. Yeah, so they have to, again, they have to have it, they have to have that seal of, of remission. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a medical, spiritual, religious deal. Um, and this other person comes back not in that system, realizing that Jesus is doing something both in that system and way out of that system. Jesus is doing something really deep here. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes in this story, because it's almost Jesus needs hmm. but I think the way I see it is, is that it happened back there, but I'm just now seeing it. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't that right? There's, there's a buddy of mine named Tommy Williams who's a pastor at St. Paul's. And um, his parents told him when he was really young that he was loved. And he just believed it. He just believed it. I, he was a freak show of just, like, right-sized ego. And being around him, he wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody. Now, my hunch is that each of us have been told by our parents that we're loved. My parents told me we're loved. If you didn't, your parents didn't tell you you were loved, uh, like, like, let's get a group around you and just call you every morning and tell you you're loved, right? Um, the difference is that some of us grow up in a family where we feel like either that is tenuous or we have to prove it or there's a lot of other things that are going on that mitigate that and kind of confuse that. 
you add some trauma to that or you add some um, mental kind of stuff to that, you know? Um, and so I think what, what um, the Spirit of the living God says to each of us is that you are loved. Now become who you are. That's the, that's that. Go on your way. You're whole. Live into your wholeness. Yeah. Some of us have to have the systems of shame and disgrace dismantled in our life a little more. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Why don't we stand and take the hand of someone next to us and um, we'll pray.